right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. What's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson, Nick Springer with you here Yo. on KLWN. We're going to be joined by Evan Miyakawa at 340. You might be familiar with his work. You might not if you're constantly around college basketball and you see some of these numbers that uh, come from his website, Evan Mia, uh, you will be familiar. And if not, you should be because uh, there's a lot of great information you can check out on his website. So that's going to be a fun conversation, just kind of about college basketball trends, analytics, Kansas, some other teams in the country uh, that we'll get to with Evan. We also are going to preview the KU basketball game. KU football game, the Chiefs game. We got game picks, lie detector test on today's edition of RCST. We are out at 5.30 today. A little bit of a shortened show with Crimson and Blue show coverage taking over at 5.30 and then tip off for Kansas and Southern Utah at 7 o'clock right here on KLWN. Of course, you can hear the KU football game tomorrow at 2.30, pregame at 1 o'clock. Our local pregame show will be from noon to 1 o'clock. And we're going to be out at Big Mill on the corner of 9th Mississippi spinning our prize wheel, giving out all sorts of free goodies like KU basketball tickets and uh, whatnot. So come on out before the game if you can. Kansas takes on Texas in that game right now sitting at a nine-point underdog headed into the game. And this has obviously been a series that has gone pretty well for for Kansas uh, comparatively to you know other Big 12 teams. <laughs> they still have, have lost more than they've won. But you go back over the handful of years here. So go back to 2016, Kansas wins in overtime. Then you look at uh, last year winning in overtime on the Jared Casey two-point conversion. You even had the game in um, 2019, I want to say, that was played in Austin where Kansas almost won. It took a last-second field goal by Texas. You had the game in 2018, which was played on, I believe, like Black Friday or Thanksgiving weekend. The Texas only won 24-17. to Four of the last five meetings have been decided by a touchdown or less, and Kansas will now be looking for back-to-back wins. This is a wild note against Texas in successive years for the first time in program history. Now, you might notice the wording there and say, well, in successive years, they didn't always play them successive years. The reason that it was worded like that is Kansas actually has beaten Texas two straight meetings before, but it was like 1908 and like 1930-something. <laughs> so, realistically, they haven't beaten them back-to-back times they've met them in about, I don't know, 90 years, so... Uh, This would be a very big deal. Kansas on senior day. I know something David Lawrence has talked about as part of the broadcasts um, that you can listen to on KLWN is something he wants for this program is that senior day matters. And he doesn't just mean in terms of the team is good or they're ranked or they're playing for a better bowl game or they're playing to make a conference championship or they're playing to get to a bowl game. He means that because of what they have accomplished, the seniors come into that senior day, and it is a big deal. 
right, how it is for basketball. Everybody stays at basketball for after the game for senior day speeches. And this kind of feels like you're in the right direction there. I haven't seen anything about KU selling out. It, it seems like it's, I don't know, it might not be a full sellout with the, with the weather. I did see way it was getting kind of close. So we're getting there. Last update I saw. We're getting there. I, I hope it is a sellout and that we get that kind of, I don't know, honorary viewing of things for the seniors. Now, one yeah. player who is going to be celebrating senior day is Jason Bean. He kind of got added to the list late. Originally wasn't, right? No, he was not. Yeah. So if you remember, um, we mentioned this earlier this week. Like you could not be on it but still celebrate Correct. or you could be on it and actually still come back. Correct. Basically, if you have an extra COVID year. Which yeah. Not all the guys do, but most of them do. Right. But for guys who are like Kenny Logan is not on the list. But it still could be his last game. He just yes. hasn't made that decision. That's what Lance Leipold said. That's what Kenny Logan said. The fact that Jason Bean was not on the list before and now is on the list tells me that he asked to be on the list, which tells me that for him, he is viewing this as his last home game for Kansas. Now, if you want to read into that and say— Exactly. Like, how deeply do you want to go into this? Right. Does that mean that he's going to transfer from Kansas after this or year? Or does that mean done he's just football? done with football? No. Does that mean he's going to go to the NFL? Because obviously, like, the COVID year doesn't mean you have to Correct. exercise. You don't that, have to. Right? No, like, no, you no. Just, if you graduate or— didn't exercise it, Exactly. Right? Like, if you graduate or if whatever, or if you're just done, you can just be done. Right? Like, yeah. the COVID year doesn't mean you have Move to come back. Move on with your life, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, from that standpoint, I feel like that's kind of what it means. Uh, he gave a quote, too. They, they posted a— on the, the KU football Twitter account, they posted a big graphic. Being at KU has meant everything to me. It's an honor to have been a Jayhawk, and I'm thankful to be here, and I'm thankful for all the fans that supported me through my time here. These are years that I will remember for the rest of my life. So we kind of talked earlier this week and really all week long about the possible return of Jalen Daniels back at quarterback, and we both kind of, I don't know, at least I did. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. That I came to the conclusion that I thought Jalen Daniels would be the guy this Saturday. Don't know for sure, but I feel like that's where we're trending. Yeah, I would say that's where I've I've been leaning to. But now knowing that Jason Bean could be celebrating senior day, does it change things at all? Like, does KU owe him anything mm. to make him start the game or to maybe play both quarterbacks if that's the I, case? I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't think Lance Leipold's that type of coach. He wants to win games, play the best guy that's going to win the game. If Jalen Daniels is your best guy to win the game, you play him, right? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Do you agree with that or do you disagree? I think that both of that – okay, so if, if we're under the assumption that Jalen is going to play, I'm kind of under the assumption that both will get in at some point. But what that means can be taken a million different ways. Well, yeah, because mean, obviously early in the season, Bean was getting into some games exactly. for like two plays. Yes, that's kind of how I view it. Like there will be a Jason Bean package, but it will be a little more than that. But it won't be like to the extent of, hey, we're going to rotate series, or you're going to get a quarter, you're going to get a quarter, or whatever. Well, I, I just would think not- that's a bad recipe for trying to win the game also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to – yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, so I do think what would be more realistic is – like I wouldn't be surprised if Jason Bean is the starter, like gets named the starter on the video board and then okay. he even goes out there the first play because of senior day and then Jalen Daniels takes over the second play and it also gets a huge ovation and a cheer by like – you know, it's like when you, you bring the player out the one last time, right, and it gets the big yeah, cheer of Jalen getting into the game. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I also would not be surprised if – um, it is something where, yeah, Jalen plays like three plays in relief. If Jalen, uh, uh, Jason, I'm sorry. I feel like a. Yeah, Jalen and Jason makes it kind of I know, tough it really sometimes. does. So I feel like Jalen, if he is back and healthy, will be the majority guy. 
But I do think because it is senior day and because he has been effective in certain regards, Jason Bean will still play at least a few plays or, or certain yeah, packages. maybe, maybe. Well, this is going to be a battle of elite running backs as much as we've spent time on the quarterbacks. Devin Neal on an absolute tear right now, over 400 rushing yards over the last two weeks combined. He is the first Kansas back since June Henley in 1996 um, to rush for 190 or more rushing yards in back-to-back games for Kansas. So it's been 26 He's been years. He's been really good. And uh, KU's had some really good running backs in that time. They, they really have. They really have. Yeah, well, Texas has a good one, too. He's John Robinson. <laughs> he leads the Big 12 in rushing yards right now. And he is just an absolute menace when he gets out in the open field. Talked about it yesterday. Like, the key for me on the Kansas defense, tackle. 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 It's easier said than done, especially on a guy like Bijan Robinson, who's going to run like a 4 3, 4 4 40, and is giant and breaks tackles and can do things shifting wise that you don't normally see on humans. Yeah. Easier said than done. And you look at the Texas offense overall, they're they just sixth in the Big 12 in points per game. Right. They're not, you know, this elite offense. But a lot of that does draw from the 10 they put up against TCU. You look at the Big 12 rankings. It is super stacked together with where everyone is. Like Iowa State is like by far the worst. They're averaging like twenty one points per game. And then there's like a nine or ten point jump. And then like everyone from like first through ninth is averaging between like high thirties to low thirties points per game. So it's not like that big of a difference, say they're sixth versus maybe the third best offense, for instance. But this isn't like an offense that has been unstoppable. This isn't TCU. This isn't even like Oklahoma. And so they get a lot of explosive plays. Bijan Robinson, as we mentioned, is fantastic. Xavier Worthy will make you miss in the open field and can beat you on a deep ball. Roshan Johnson's a really good backup running back. They just have a lot of explosive weapons all around the team. Well, Quinn Ewers is kind of the, the same way. He can be explosive, but the thing there is he has a lot of peaks and valleys. Like Kansas is going to have opportunities. Well, and what's been KU's defensive MO pretty much all season? They play a lot of shell coverage. They don't want to get beat deep. They don't want to give up big plays, and they just rely on coming up to tackle, right? Which you can look at the two ways. On one hand, if you're playing a team like Texas who has a guy like Bijan Robinson who can make guys miss, maybe you might want to try putting more guys in the box to try to you know, slow him down before he gets going in the open field or something before he gets to that second level, right? Because like, it's one thing to have the Texas Tech running backs get into the second level. It's another thing to have Bijan Robinson getting to the second level. So I, I don't know, and I think Kevin Flaherty talked about this when we had him on the show earlier this week of discussing, like, would Kansas try to say, okay, we are going to load up the box and we're going to see if we if Quinn Ewer is locked in for this game or if he's off, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to ta- we're gonna make him, regardless of how he's playing, we're going to make him be the one that's going to determine if Texas' offense is going to beat us or not. Does KU do that? I, I, I don't know if they will, though, because they have shown a propensity, I mean, in literally every game this season, they've pretty much played the same style, which is we're going to play too deep. We don't want to get beat deep. We don't want to give up explosive plays. We're going to rely on our guys to tackle in the open field, and we're going to show six, seven-man boxes. We're not going to load up the box. So I I would be hard-pressed to say that that might change for this game against Texas, but Texas might force their hand. I mean, if you just keep running Bijan Robinson up the middle every play and it's getting, you know, five, six, seven, eight yards, you're going to have to adjust if you're Kansas, obviously. So I, I don't know, but I think I don't think I don't expect Kansas to change their defensive approach to begin the game at least. They might be forced their hand might be forced at some point, depending on the success of Texas, but I don't know. That's just kind of the read that I get is they they've been so committed 
for so long the entire season to playing this type of defense of we don't want to give up big plays, we don't want to get beat over the top. I don't see them changing that in this game against Texas to start. Now, they might have to change eventually, but I don't think they'll start until they change it to begin the game. Yeah, I just, like, the Kansas defense hasn't been known for adjusting, I would say, this season. Like, they just kind of do what they do, and they hope to do it well. They just hope to execute the simplicity, yeah. right? And even when Kansas has had games where they have turned it around, like they've had a bad start and then maybe have figured some things out, like I remember, I asked yeah, every, time, every, time talk, every time we talk, every time we talk to the defense, they're like, "Yeah, we like, just no, we just played, we better. just played better." It's not that <laughs> like, they like made adjustments. Like, so, oh, okay, well that's cool. That's kind of the way it goes for Kansas. So it's it, it's kind of a sticky thing because it's not like you can just say, "Well, just change up what you're doing this, this, and that." Like, no, that's not what they're going to do. They just have to hope they execute better. So it's like it's kind of hard to, to preview it from that standpoint because I can't sit <laughs> here and just just play better. I mean, I think just you play, can, you know, like I mean, okay, I think you can certainly look at the tackling. Right, like yes. If Kansas, but again, how am I supposed to preview that? No, I know, I understand that, but mm. it's like you can just say like, well, that's what Kansas needs to do. Yeah. Right? Like if they give up, if they have twenty-one missed tackles like they did against Texas Tech, probably going to be a long day. Yeah. for the defense. Yeah, probably you're going to give up forty plus points if if that ends up being the case. And if they can't way. force turnovers, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I guess the biggest part of this game is just that, like, this isn't Oklahoma State or Iowa State offensively to where I would expect it all Kansas to be able to hold them under 20 whatever points the way that Kansas wins this game I mean they got to hold them under 40 you would think at least you probably have to outscore them but if you can hold them in the 20s if you can hold them in the 20s I think you're happy with it yes oh absolutely thrilled I'd be happy with hold them in the high 30s yeah I mean it doesn't it doesn't guarantee you win it if you hold it to hold them 28 because you know, their defense, uh, they're third in the Big 12 in points allowed per game. They're second in yards they've allowed been, per game. They've been good against the run. They've been good against the run. Which is why I think it, uh, when you look at it from that standpoint, it's even more critical that Jalen Daniels plays because then they can use the option, right, mm-hmm. to kind of mitigate how good Texas is against the run. 100%. And, and I mean, what, what's, been, what's been the recipe for success for KU in these past two games? Devin Neal running the ball. So, obviously, we've seen Kansas be successful without Devin Neal going off, but that's been what they've done the last two weeks. So, I don't know. Yeah, and Texas is also a really good pass rushing team. They're first in the Big 12 in, in sacks. Kansas has given up the least amount of sacks in the Big 12. Uh, so, there is, like, a chance that the Texas is able to kind of hold down the, the Kansas offense a little bit. Um, so, it doesn't guarantee you you win the game if you hold them into the 20s, but it gives you a really yeah. good shot at winning if you I do that. I think you feel really, really good about it. I do, too. Now, how that happens, how you hold them in the 20s, you need Quinn Ewers to be a little shaky, like he's going to make some big plays, you need him to, and, and here's the thing, you need to capitalize yeah. on the plays where he does kind of mess up. Yeah, um, He's going to probably throw a couple balls, like one or two passes in the game, that give you an, a, a chance at getting maybe an interception. You have to come down with the play. Kobe Bryant was great against Texas Tech, he had seven targets against him, he came down with uh, just one completion against him, but... You know, that would have been big if he could have, and I don't know, they might have ended up making the stop on this drive. I don't even remember at this point. Uh, they threw a little screen pass, and he, like, jumped it. Yeah. And he couldn't hold on to the catch. Like, you have to be able to make that play against Texas in this one. You're just have to going to have to capitalize in those regards. You have to tackle against B. John Robinson. You have to make them stretch out long drives. And if you make them stretch out long drives, there's a better chance that they do mess something up and that they do give you something back. So that's kind of how the... Story needs to go for the Kansas defense. I'm not so sure it's going to happen that way, but 
That's what needs to happen. Who would you pick for the most important player on both sides of the ball outside of the quarterback? I think offensively, you're hard-pressed to go with anybody other than Devin Neal, right? I mean, Lawrence Arnold's been having a really, really good stretch of games, so you could look at him as maybe kind of an X-factor type guy. But, I mean, I feel like you have to go with Devin Neal, right, on offense. Yeah, I mean, he was great against Texas last year. Like I said, he's on a tear right now. Hmm. On defense, I think you could look to kind of your usual cast of characters, Lonnie Phelps, Craig Young. Uh, another guy that I've mentioned very at very at through various games is Marvin Grant as kind of that box safety run-stopping type guy. He's been kind of quiet recently, but if you're looking for somebody who could maybe help out with the run game while not giving, you, giving up too much in terms of what you can play like with your shell coverage, Marvin Grant maybe coming downhill making some plays. We know he likes to do that. Obviously, Kobe Bryant, if he can get aggressive. Melo Dotson has been good, too. Kind of take your pick of any of those, of the the same guys, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you need, I think you need one of your linemen to have a big game, whether it was Jeremy Robinson against Baylor, Lonnie Phelps. Lonnie Phelps has kind of been stuck on six sacks for a while now. We haven't, um, and, and that's not to say he hasn't had a big impact. He has. He's getting a lot of QB pressures and, and doing other things. But I wonder if this is a game where he comes up with a sack or two uh, toward the end of the season and uh, you need somebody. I, I think for me, it's pick your poison of the linebackers. Um, you need all of them to have a good game, but if you want to pick out one, whoever, like Rich Miller, Taiwan Berry, whatever, because that's where the tackling aspect comes in on B. And John a, Robinson. A McCaskill, we know, is yeah. more of a run-stopping linebacker, so maybe maybe it could be him that has a big impact. Yeah, and he had a tough game last week, but he was really good the week before, and we know his experience is really good. So, yeah. yeah, the linebackers have to play really well. That's where I would look on, on the defensive side of the ball. On the offensive side of the ball, um, man, it's Do you tough. think I, Texas is going to be paying attention to Jared Casey? <laughs> there will certainly be a lot of attention. May, I don't know. Maybe maybe you say Mason Fairchild for that reason. Like maybe there's too much attention on Jared Casey in the game. I think you could you could probably argue in in a game like this, like uh, a player like Luke Grimm who is going to hit you for maybe some of these underneath routes and uh, playing out of the slot. If if they're having a good pass rush, that you need someone you can get the ball to quickly. He would apply. Mason Fairchild would apply. Jared Casey throwing it to the running backs out of the backfield. Uh, all those things would, would kind of apply for you. So that's who I would be kind of uh, circling heading into this game. All right, we're going to take a timeout. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be back after this timeout. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk uh, here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. And we've got a very special guest joining us here on a Friday, Evan Miyakawa, who uh, does fantastic work in terms of the analytics community in college basketball, we're always bringing up Ken Palm and Bart Torvik and some of the numbers from Evan. And you could check out his site at Evan Mia. That's Evan M I Y A dot com. You could also follow him on Twitter at Evan Mia uh, at Evan and then M I Y A. Uh, so I guess first things first. Just I, I'm curious on the background for you here. What kind of got you into college basketball and interested in some of the metrics and analytics of the sport? Yeah, that's a great question, Derek. I'm really happy to be on today. Um, so I, uh, first of all, I grew up uh, watching sports. I grew up in Indianapolis, you know, a, a major hub for basketball. Um, I was a big Butler Bulldogs fan growing up, and I went to the national championship game uh, against Duke in Indianapolis when Gordon Hayward almost hit that three-court shot, ha that half-court shot to win the game. Um, and so I feel like ever since then, I've just had a, a strong love for college basketball. 
Um, went on to college to get my undergraduate degree in uh, statistics and then went on to get my PhD in statistics from Baylor, graduated about a year ago. So I, between my, my love of sports and my more like mathematical background, uh, sports, uh, statistics and data has always just been a natural uh, thing for me to explore uh, in sort of like taking the sport I love in college basketball and applying what I what I know in terms of like statistics and um, different measures of that of that nature and applying it to sports and just kind of seeing what I could come up with. So my website started a couple of years ago while I was in grad school, just sort of as a like just kind of a fun side project for me and trying to figure out, hey, like, can I, you know, rank college basketball teams? And then a, a next step after that is, can I figure out what what players are the most impactful in terms of their team winning when they're on the court? And that has sort of just led to the website um, in what it is now, where um, a lot of different uh, fans use it. A lot of different coaches are using it to uh, look for players in the transfer portal or optimize lineups or uh, make in-game decisions. Um, and then lots of people in the media as well reference my website. It's a very fun place to be. Uh, and I'm just so, so grateful for it uh, to um, have been as uh, successful as it is. Yeah, it's it's awesome work and, and having everything up there. It's super helpful with some of the, the player ratings. And, you know, it's it's one thing to see a player's box score and putting up 18 points, nine rebounds, but like how impactful it was. And you can see that with your site. You mentioned having coaches go through there. So uh, have you had like past coaches or, or, or whatnot, like contact you about players in the transfer portal? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. This last offseason, I had lots of coaches uh, referencing my my transfer portal rankings. Um I have a, an example of, uh, I have uh, coaches from big schools and small schools. Um, I personally find as much joy in uh, helping out schools that are low to mid-major as I do with larger schools, just because, um, you know, these are schools that are just trying to gain an edge wherever they can. And so uh, an example of this is I have a good relationship with uh, Paul Mills, the head coach at Earl Roberts. Um, and back when they made the Sweet 16, like he was an early adopter of using my analytics for making decisions. Um, and this off season, he directly told me that they targeted some of the players in the portal because of their rankings on my site, which was really, really cool. Um, and really glad to be of help to, to people like him. That's awesome. Uh, so I'm curious, cause there's a lot of good numbers on your site and I guess this is more of a, a widespread question too. Like, do you have a favorite statistic or do you have a favorite number on your site that, that, that is, I don't know whether it took the hardest process to put together, or if you just think is the most telling of the game, like what would your favorite be? I'm really glad you asked that question. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff on there, but I think the thing that is sort of the, uh, the main linchpin of what I've built is my player impact metric called Bayesian performance rating. So if you go to my website and you click on the player ratings page, uh, you'll see players rated by, ranked by a metric called BPR, which stands for Bayesian Performance Rating. And it's something that I have custom built for uh, men's college basketball to understand and measure which players are the most impactful. So, um, you know, we typically think of good players as players who, uh, you know, score lots of points and get lots of rebounds. And it's, it's pretty easy to figure out who's who just by the eye test. But when it comes down to it, it's not just the players who score the most points who are the, the, the most helpful. It's the players who actually like lead to their, um, you know, making their team's chance of winning better. And so what Bayesian performance rating does is it takes into several different factors about a, a player's uh, play. It looks at their individual uh, statistics like, you know, points scored and things like that on a per possession basis. But it also looks at for every single possession that a player plays, 
uh, how are they impacting their team's performance when they're on the floor, um, specifically looking at every single possession and the outcome of that possession. And it adjusts for the strength of all other players on the court for every possession. So if you have a guy who uh, plays really well, but the coach is always putting him in at the end of the game when the when they've already are beating the team by a lot and the opponent is playing their scrub players, it adjusts for that. Um, and then it also takes into account a little bit of historical information for each player, especially to make these ratings more stable at the beginning of the season. So a lot of the ratings right now are still very much heavily weighted on these like preseason projections that I've built for these players uh, because we're still so earlier in the season. We, we have to rely a lot on sort of our intuition coming into the season as to who's going to be good. Um, but you kind of combine all of those and you get one offensive number, one defensive number, one overall number for each player that sums up uh, how how much impact they have uh, in the game. And that's sort of irrespective of what team they play. So theoretically, the player who's number one uh, in the nation would still be number one in the nation playing for a different team. Well, I think what's really cool, we always hear the term glue guy in college basketball, you know what I mean? And, and this gives you like an actual number that you can see, hey, this guy really is impacting the game in, in a high level, even if he isn't putting up, you know, 15, 20 points per game. And uh, if I take a look like at the uh, some of the lineup data, too, where, where you can kind of put all that together for the different lineups on the court. And um, like I'm looking at the KU starting five, Dewan Harris, Grady Dick, Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCuller, KJ Adams. They have a plus 40.8 on that efficiency margin, whereas the lineup with Ernest Uday at center instead of KJ Adams is, uh, you know, barely above even essentially on the when you subtract the the defensive side of things from the offensive side, as far as the only other qualified lineup by 10 qualified possessions, which I mean, you know, is is not a huge sample size in the end, but uh, is something like that with the lineup numbers. Like, when do those become, I guess, stable? When do those start to plateau over the course of a season? Because obviously, I would imagine some of that can be dangerous to use if it's a, a small sample size. So, when do you typically advise to to start using the lineup numbers? Yeah, that's a really really great point. Uh, lineup numbers uh, are you know, pretty noisy, especially when you're looking at like five person lineups, you, you know, in a typical game, like a starting lineup might only play, I don't know, 20 or 25 possessions together. Um, and so if you have lineups that are less used than that, you're accruing data on those lineups really, really slowly. So uh, I have lots of coaches who've asked me this question. And typically I recommend that people don't really start like having lineup data really influence decision-making until you probably are five, six games into a season. Um, and even then you sort of have to use some contextual clues to figure out, um, you know, like what's more reliable and what's not. Um, but certainly as you get a third of the way, a third of the way into the season, halfway through, it starts to become a lot more, um, helpful in terms of figuring out which combinations of players are most helpful, not just who's the best overall, but like, are there certain pairs of players who play really well together and have high chemistry and they outperform what they typically do when they're on the court together, things like that become really, really helpful. I'm also really glad you brought up the glue guy part too, because I think the part that really I think is the most fun part about these player impact metrics is that we have ways to shine a light on guys who don't light up the box score, but are super, super, super essential uh, to their team's play. Um, an example of a guy like that in the past who now is well known as a good player is uh, back when Herbert Jones, who is now uh, was a you know a first round draft pick for the Pelicans, and he's played really well defensively. Uh, before he was a um, household name, so to speak, 
uh, my metric specifically rating his defensive impact had him as a top five defender for the first couple years that he was in college before he was really even regarded as a big NBA prospect. And you see similar guys like that every year who um, might be in the top 25 or top 50 of the leaderboard in terms of Bayesian performance rating who you think like, oh, like I don't typically think of them as like a star player. But then when you dig into the numbers, you see the impact that they're having on their team's performance, even if they're not the one making those clutch shots at the end of the game. Uh, it's really obvious which players um, are having an impact like that. Well, I guess same thing for the individual stuff. Uh, so right now you can you can go to evanmia.com and and you could check out uh, where the KU players rank. So like Jalen Wilson's number one with with about a four uh, a forty eight, just a little bit under that. Kevin McCuller two, Dwan Harris three. Um, and you could go through the list. You can adjust it for for different minimums of possessions if you want to see guys who maybe haven't played as much to see where where they would rank hypothetically. Uh, but when does that stuff equal out? Is that about six games as well, just like the lineups, or, or is that something that you get a quicker uh, reaction? Yeah, so that's stable from day one. Uh, BPR, everything in BPR, so player ratings and team ratings, that comes with a heavy preseason projection component that stabilizes it at the beginning of the season. So my preseason top five players before any games had even started was like Drew Timmy and Oscar Shibwe and Armando Baycott, like the top getters in, uh, you know, preseason um Naismith or, you know, wooden award voting. Um, and you'll see some player movement there, but like you can actually look and see for each player. Uh, if you, there's like a little show change um, option you can show and you can see how much each player's rating has changed since their preseason uh, projection. And so like for the Kansas players I'm looking right now and uh, of all the players on the roster, Bobby Pettiford is actually the one who has uh, gained the most in terms of his BPR since where he started the preseason. And that helps you kind of gain a little bit of insight into like which players are starting to outperform or underperform compared to kind of where they would have been predicted uh, in the preseason. And that's a really, really helpful feature to see like which players are really um, outperforming where, where people thought it's, it's pretty difficult uh, to, you know, form a decent projection for, for freshmen. Um, so for a guy like Grady Dick, for example, the most that we have to go off of is like consensus, um, high school recruiting rankings. And even those are more geared towards, you know, who's going to be the best in the NBA and not necessarily college level. Um, so it's a little bit more tricky with freshmen, but I've still come up with a pretty reliable way to gather some of their, you know, high school information and figure out who's going to be good. But you'll even see a guy like, you know, Grady Dick has been a massive factor for Kansas through their first couple of games. And so his rating is already, uh, you know, rising pretty quickly from where he was in the preseason. Do you have any, any theories that you can, derive from some of the data and the BPR stuff in the, in the lineups or, or anything that you do that maybe helps you with the NCAA tournament. And I know it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's the wild West. It's, it's impossible to predict, but is there anything that can kind of help you along the way of trying to perfect the imperfectible? Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, so much of the tournament is really random noise, but I do think the fact that, um, like, uh, in my opinion, the, um, my website and the way that I construct um, uh, each team's like strength and how they're viewed is is really based on a lot of this player impact metric stuff. And that's something that I'm doing at a more in depth than anyone else uh, is doing. And so when it comes to tournament time, uh, I think that in a lot of ways you can find insights into, you know, which players, uh, for example, like which which teams rely more heavily on like one star player versus like a having a pretty even uh, weighted roster from from front to back. That's an analysis I did before the tournament last year was seeing like, 
hey, like, you know, which teams have a star player in terms of their impact and which teams, uh, you know, really have a really solid floor in terms of their rotation. And those can be interesting pieces to kind of throw into your uh, into the mix. Another one that I've done is I something that's available on my website is I look at uh, scoring runs that teams go on. So I've termed this coin, I've coined this the kill shot, where a team goes on at least a 10-0 run in a game. And teams that go on lots of runs and don't give up many runs, uh, those are teams that are, you know, they're always in the game no matter what. And so even if they're down, they could rip off a big spurt and win the game. And so that can be pretty predictive of success in March Madness. You have other teams that are, I would consider to be like really uh, streaky where they, they go on lots of runs, but they also can give them up easily. And so those are teams where they're probably more likely to lose as a favorite because they're just more inconsistent versus a team who like doesn't go on many runs, but also like is not prone at all to giving giving up scoring runs to the opponent like those are teams you could probably count on more reliably as a favorite in a game because they're going to be pretty consistent in terms of throughout the game how they're performing so lots of different little nuggets like that you could sort of find lots of different ways to apply them uh those are just a few that i've sort of come up with along the way yeah i love that definitely a, a useful tool for for picking your bracket this next year did you find any correlation between the teams who are more evened out versus the teams who do rely on one guy or was it just a little bit of everything yeah, a little bit of everything. Um, the uh, like, I think Kansas was one of the teams that rated in the top of the nation last year in terms of going on lots of scoring runs and not conceding many. And certainly that really helps them, especially like in the national championship game, they were down and they, you know, they had to put a big run together to take the lead back and win that. So uh, yeah, those kinds of things are really helpful. I've only been anal- analyzing that particular stat for the last year or so. So I, I don't have enough data to like, reliably say like oh you know these teams have for sure like a 10 percent larger chance of making the sweet 16 or whatever but it still is interesting to track going forward okay just just looking at college basketball this year um is there a team that you found yourself maybe higher on than than most early on or a few teams that you're really invested on with uh how you think they could be this season yeah so one of the interesting components to making preseason projections for teams that are not influenced at all by human decision is that you're just going to have naturally have teams uh, that rate a lot higher or lower than public consensus, especially in the preseason. There is so much group think that goes into, you know, say the AP top 25. Um, and so two of the most surprising teams uh, when people were looking at my initial set of uh, preseason rankings were the top two teams that I had in the big 10 were Iowa and Michigan state. Uh, so which a lot of people had more like, you know, five or six range, uh, for example. And those two teams so far this season have been super impressive. Michigan State, obviously, uh, with a big marquee victory at the Champions Classic just a few days ago. And they're looking much stronger than people were thinking. And then Iowa, uh, Chris Murray is looking like a clone of Keegan Murray last year. Um, and so they're already looking really impressive. Fran McCaffrey seems to always deliver offensively with his teams. So now I have those teams both in the top 15 in terms of um, where they rank nationally. So that's an example of, um, you know, a couple teams that I was really curious to see how they were going to perform. We're only three games in, you know, one or one or two of them could both crash and burn down the stretch. But uh, promising so far that my model was able to pick up on the fact that those teams were probably a little underrated by the public. Well, imagine this Kansas team, it, it becomes more difficult, like you said, when you have some of those freshmen that you talked about where some of that projection stuff is more based on the long-term career and you have Grady Dick playing a big role and whatnot. Uh, Kevin McCuller right now is in the top 15 of defensive BPR. 
Jalen Wilson's in the top 20 of offensive BPR right now. Uh, what are kind of your thoughts on, on the Jayhawks this year? Yeah, I think the Jayhawks are so balanced in so many different ways, um, both in terms of like their offense and defensive strength, uh, as well as in terms of like their their what, the pieces that they rely on. Um, I just did an analysis this week on uh, which teams are more reliant on like upperclassmen, so juniors and seniors versus freshmen and sophomores. And Kansas is one of those teams that's right down the middle. So they have about equal reliance on more experienced players and younger players. And I think that overall should bode pretty well, especially for a Bill Self coach team. Like he is so good at getting the most out of what he has. And so when you have pieces like, you know, a star in Jalen Wilson, well, you also have the um, the potential of a guy like Grady Dick, who is already, um, you know, showing a lot of return for the investment in him. Um, it's really exciting. And then you have a guy like Kevin McCuller, a transfer who, uh, is a, a really solid defender, rates top 15 defensively, as you mentioned. Um, I just really like how balanced this team is. I don't think that there's going to be a lot that really, um, you know, throws them off. And I think come tournament time, they're going to be really reliable. Awesome. Well, Evan, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day and hopping on here again. You can check him out at Evan Mia on Twitter, EvanMia.com. Is there anything you want to plug or, or get out there? No, I think you pretty much covered it. All right. Awesome. Well, Evan, appreciate the time and uh, have a good rest of the college basketball season. Thank you. Same to you. That was Evan Mia Kawa. You can check him out at Evan Mia on Twitter, Evan M-I-Y-A or EvanMia.com. Thank you to him for joining the show. Some really cool insight into some of the the deeper numbers on college basketball. I'll tell you what, warning to you, if you go on the website, make sure you have some time carved out because you're going to go down rabbit holes and spend a lot of time. It's a a super entertaining, awesome site uh, to look at and and get some knowledge around, whether it's Kansas or or around college basketball. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We got game picks coming up, Chiefs preview, gave you basketball preview in the 5 o'clock hour. We're out early day at 5.30 for pregame coverage of Kansas and Southern Utah. Then you can hear tip-off tonight after the show at 7, right here on KLWN, depending on it. Four o'clock hour. This is RCST. We are out early at 5.30 to get over to pregame coverage KU basketball tomorrow. Come on out to Big Mill before the game for our KU football pregame show. Win all sorts of free stuff, including free tickets to the next KU home basketball game. If you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, check out Venue 1235 located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. We got game picks, lie detector tests coming up this hour. Uh, but right now, our Chiefs preview ahead of their game on Sunday. Playing on Sunday night football. Uh, shout out. No, you know what? I won't even go there. Um, what? What? No. No, I, I want to hear it now. No. I no. want to hear it now. No. What was no. it? You can't. Why not? Because uh, it's private, personal. What are you HIPAA. talking What? HIPAA. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, so the Chiefs game got moved to Sunday night football. Um <laughs> I'm not even going to focus for the rest of the segment. I, uh, even, yeah, I want to know what you uh, The Chiefs are going to be, I, I guess, honestly, like the— Okay, Loki, this is actually a huge game. Oh, yeah, Because the Chargers are only one game behind the Chiefs. If they win. Yeah. Oh, what's what's their record right now? <laughs> They're 5-4. and four. Oh. Chiefs are 7-3. and three. Okay, never mind. I'm an idiot. But y- you are still right. a huge game, though. Because, yes, if the Chargers win this game, it gives them a pulse for the AFC West, right? They're only a game behind. Wait. The Chiefs are 7-2. and two. Yes, and the Chargers are 5-4. and four. Okay. So if they win, they're a game behind. Yes. Are you having trouble with the math here? No, you said the Chiefs were seven and three, and I knew that oh, wasn't I'm sorry. true. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> if they win, they're a game behind. But on the flip side, if the Chiefs win this game, they are now three games up and really oh, yeah. three and a half up because they would have the the sweep over the Chargers. Yeah. On LA. Yeah. Give them the AFC West. So time. basically, uh, I'll put it this way: if the Chiefs win this game, like you can 
stick a fork in the AFC West race, right? No, yeah, I think so, yeah. Even though technically they have to play the Broncos twice. Yeah, but Broncos ain't winning either one of the games. You know. No. I mean, they're not going to even get close to winning 10 games, right? And it's going to take more than that to win the division. Um, Eric, uh, my bet that I made with you about the Broncos is looking what did we even pretty bet good. On that? Pretty good. Broncos still win less than six games, I think. Yeah. That's not looking good for me. I'll say no, that. It's not. I think I actually looked. The, the Vegas over-under is at, they're, they're at six, six and a half right now. So it's like right on, uh, right above it. Um, the receiver news is, is certainly the most interesting coming into this game. The Chargers have been without Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, and Mike Williams toasted the Chiefs secondary when they played earlier this season. That was without Trent McDuffie, though. Yes, very true. McDuffie will be back. For the Chiefs, McCall Hardman got placed on IR this week. Juju's, Juju's out. announced out. Yeah. And then MVS, I think he's going like to play, but he's been, yeah, he's been kind of laboring he's through practice. Every, he's questionable every week, though. He is. But that basically means now for the Chiefs, in – one of the bigger games you'll play the rest of the season, you're going to be relying a lot on whether MVS plays or not. You're going to be relying a lot on Kadarius Tony, the new guy who did look good. Yep. Sky Moore, who hasn't really shown a ton so far. Yeah. Justin Watson, who has had some flashes, but you know if he's your number two or number three, that's probably not great. Nah. Yeah. And then Kelsey, obviously. What a lot of yeah, yeah. Kelsey makes everything kind of work here. Um. Maybe just we see more of Noah Gray, who's who's looked pretty good over the past yeah, few weeks when he's yeah. got chances. Yeah. Jody Fortson has, has had some highlights in his couple of years with the Chiefs. That's that's going to be the big question for me, and and I wonder how that impacts the game because on one hand you still have Patrick Mahomes, you still have Travis Kelsey, yep. um, you still have some some flashes here, but it's an opportunity for guys to step up, and we saw a little bit of it from Kadarius Tony last week. I want to see if Sky Moore can step up because if not now, then I don't think it's ever going to happen this season. Yeah, the the Sky Moore discourse has been a, a roller coaster, I think, to say the least. Considering what it was when he was drafted, it's like, oh, he could be like the sneaky best pick, you know, in the draft for the Chiefs. Like, oh, he's going to be so good. And then like, then there was this whole argument back and forth for the first like six games of the season of, well, why is it Sky Moore playing more? Sky Moore should get more opportunities. Oh, and then he fumbles like four muff punts, and then. <laughs> <laughs> then the, then it's like, okay, well, maybe Sky Moore is actually not that good. And then Kadarius Coney comes in and immediately gets a bunch of playing time and is making big plays. And then it's like, okay, well, if that's the case, then it feels like Sky Moore, if, if the Chiefs thought Sky Moore was good, they would have just played him because they got Kadarius Coney and immediately started playing him. So then that kind of took away the argument of like, well, Sky Moore's still trying to learn the playbook. He's still trying to figure things out, right? Kadarius Coney came yeah. in and immediately got the ball instantly, mm-hmm. which goes back to my theory of it's not that hard. Tell the guy what to do. Give him the ball. I mean, if he's a playmaker, it doesn't matter what you what what the play is. So yeah, I don't really know what to think of Sky Moore. I I I still I don't call to call him like a bust or to be like oh you know he sucks whatever. That's a way overreaction. I mean, he's a rookie, and I think the other issue that you might run into with with that discussion is you might become a bit a little bit slanted considering what the other Chiefs rookies have done. Pacheco, Joshua Williams, Jalen Watson, like other rookies that have performed really well could kind of skew it, right? Like, generally speaking, that doesn't happen, right? Like, unless you're a, one of the elite players, like, you don't come in and make a huge, huge impact right away, right? So who's to say that next year, Sky Moore, it doesn't become a major factor of the offense, right? Maybe it just 
take some time, you know? Yeah, yeah. For what it's worth, I do agree with that. I, I'm not saying I'm giving up on Sky Moore. I'm saying that if it doesn't happen now when you have all these receivers out, I'm giving up on the idea he's going to be a, like a, a big piece for this player. season. Yeah. Right? Because there was a lot of people that were like, come playoff time, Sky Moore is yes. going to be the most effective guy on the field. Yes. And that's that. I think is probably not going to be the case. But how about the guy you talked about with Isaiah Pacheco? We saw him yep. really take the role as the the true number one back. Yep. Jet McKinnon is dealing with. I, there's like three injuries he's dealing with. So I don't know how much he's going to play. <laughs> it was like it was like, uh, what left shoulder, like quad, and then something. I don't know. There were like three injuries he was dealing with. All the, like the left gonna, side of his I'm body. Gonna, I'm going to come in on Monday and give you an injury report of what my injuries are. <laughs> yeah, like, just everything. I got a sore left shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, my knee hurts. Slept funny on my neck. No, but but Isaiah Pacheco had a really good game, and yep. you could be down receivers. So hypothetically, maybe that means you know instead of a game where you throw it sixty five percent of the time, maybe you're throwing it fifty eight percent of the time. And the Chargers are thirtieth in the NFL in rushing yards allowed per game. They're thirty first in the NFL in rushing yards allowed per carry. Big Pacheco game, could be. And obviously, return of Clyde Edwards-Helaire? Question mark. <sighs> Okay, chill a little bit there, <laughs> maybe. I mean, honestly, you know, I would be fine with Clyde coming back and and having an impact, but but yeah, it could be a big Pacheco game, and and uh, yeah, his his impact I th- I think is only going to get better and better. He's just uh, he's uh, you watched him in the game last week, and there were plays where he just would put his foot in the ground and run forward and get positive yards, and that's just not something we've seen Clyde be able to do a lot of, right? Like. Like, I mean, whatever whatever you think about Clyde, this, that, or the other, like, one of the big things that I've always noticed with him is he's just not a guy that is very good at getting yards after contact. He doesn't, he's not the type of runner that is able to, like, fall forward or, or you know, run into a D-line and still able to pick up three or four yards, whereas Pacheco has proven himself to be that type of He's a of hammer, runner. yeah. Yes, like, that, that, more of that type of runner, right? So that's where I think you maybe get the biggest plus with Pacheco is just that type, those types of plays. So, yeah, I mean, this could be a game where the Chiefs, Maybe try to control the ball a little bit more with the run game, but but at the same time, you have Mahomes. Might as well use him. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's out there. You yeah. only get Mahomes for nine more years, Derek. Why? Why That's only his contract nine more. or whatever? Oh, so you don't think he's going to resign? Well, I'm just saying, like you only you have a finite amount of Patrick Mahomes. You might as well just throw it 65 times a game every game, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I, I do think it'll be a big. Uh, Pacheco game. I do think we'll see a little bit of Clyde on like last game where it was just like one series. But. Okay, but he did. Clyde did come in, and there was a play later in the game where it was going to be a run play, and Mahomes like fell or something, or they ended up not working. Like they were going to hand it off to Clyde, and it ended up not working. But I don't know. He could play more. So who are you more excited for this game offensively, uh, Pacheco or Kadarius Tony? Oh, definitely Kadarius Tony. Because I, I said this after the after the game last week. He's just a maniac. He's just a crazy person. <laughs> like you just don't know what he's gonna do. He's just crazy. I mean, it's just wild. Uh, I don't know if you saw the clip from Travis Kelsey's podcast. It seems like every week that podcast with Travis and Jason Kelsey produces some really great content. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had another one, this another clip this week of Travis Kelsey talking about Kadarius Tony and basically being like, "Yeah, he's like incredible with his punt return skills. He's incredible with like his work ethic and everything." And he was talking about how you know normally when you see a team willing to trade somebody like that he was like you know sometimes there might be some other issues to deal with or whatever but he's like no this has been all professional all class and and then at the end of the clip he basically goes like i can't believe the giants let him go and i don't want to know why they let him go right which is 
Uh, again, it's wild, and that that's kind of the nature of not just the NFL, but really professional sports as a, as a whole is like you can have different people, different organizations just completely misvalue or misuse guys, and then they go somewhere else, and it turns out that they do have all this potential, right? And like, I don't know if that's kind of what we're seeing with Kadarius Sony. Obviously, he was dealing, he dealt with injuries during his time at, with the Giants, so maybe he never got a chance to be like fully that type of player with the Giants, but it's obvious that that type of player, Kadarius Tony, in the Chiefs offense is has the has a much, much higher ceiling of what his potential could be. Yeah, so Chargers will, will stress you on offense if the, the receivers are healthy. If the receivers are not, Herbert has actually really struggled over the past few weeks. It's it's the curse of the draft king. I, I, I looked this up. Okay. Since the, the draft oh, this thing the where it was, yeah, the boost <laughs> was like .5 <laughs> touchdowns like to plus 100 from minus 800. And he didn't get it. From that point on, he's only averaging like five point something yards per attempt, which would be like half a yard lower than the lowest qualified quarterback in the NFL this season. So the curse of the DraftKings, but I, I think a big part of that is the receivers have been injured. Yeah. That and certainly I mean, changes they played the, the Giants. They played the 49ers last week, which is obviously a pretty, Some good tough, defenses. A pretty tough defense. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, again, Justin Herbert, is he's he's kind of entered the same category as like Josh Allen, Tua, where it's like he has a good game and everyone's like, whoa, wait a second, this guy's better than Mahomes. Yeah. And then he has a bad game, and they're like, wait a second, this guy's like a bottom 10 quarterback in the league. <laughs> like, like, the discourse is so wild, right? And uh, obviously, he's a very talented player and, and can do a lot of different things. And, and you know, with someone like Keenan Allen and, and Eckler has been a, kind of a stalwart of being a really great player as a running back in terms of receiving and, and running as well. So this is still a pretty potent Chargers offense. Like, the Chiefs definitely need to need to have their head on the swivel playing against the Chargers. And, and honestly, when you look at this, this series historically – these games have pretty much always been very close. Right? As was like, the first one. And yeah, honestly, exactly. you could argue the Chargers outplayed the, Chargers the Chiefs, were the better but team. Yes. they found a way to win the the big Watson interception for the pick six. The yeah, end. I don't think most people would argue that the Chargers were the better team when they yeah. when they played it. Well, the meeting last year in L.A., I, I think the Chiefs were the better team there, but that was like a back-and-forth game that yeah. goes into overtime. is a great game. So I'd imagine this will be a close one as well. Yeah, every matchup with these teams feels pretty close. You can uh, get some, some props at DraftKings where you can use promo code KLWN. Let me know if any of these uh, stick out to you okay. for some touchdown bets for the Chiefs. Travis Kelsey, minus 140. Isaiah Pacheco, plus 135. Kadarius Toney, plus 145. Clyde at plus 175. Marquez wow. Valdez-Scantling at plus 225. DraftKings giving a lot of respect to Clyde, I feel like. I like the MVS one at 225. Justin what Watson. What if he doesn't play? That's the the risk, I think. Justin Watson at 255. But if he does play, that's he's your number good. one receiver. Yeah, that's that's not bad either. Sky Moore at plus 350. Noah Gray at plus 390. I don't mind that Noah one. Gray, yeah, that's Jody good. Fortson, haven't seen him score in a while, plus 650. Uh, you can get first touchdown score if you want to get in on like Justin Watson at 17 to 1. And then uh, Patrick Mahomes passing yards, 294 and a half. Over. Isaiah Pacheco rushing yards. Take a guess. What is it? 55. 56 and a half. You're right on. Oh, bang. Uh, receiving yards. Kadarius Tony's is 52 and a half. Mm, interesting. Noah Gray, 13 and a half. I kind of like that over. Kelsey, 79 and a half. And receptions, you can get Noah Gray at one and a half, Kelsey at six and a half, MVS at 79 three and, and a half. half is interesting for Kelsey because it, last week it was 80 and a half, and he literally got 81. <laughs> and they have Derwin James, who's really good. He's, he's about... Yeah, he's it, like the he's the best he's the Travis yeah. Kelsey stopper. Yeah, I, I I don't go that far. Like Kelsey's still <laughs> going to put up numbers, but as far as if you were drawing up one defender in the NFL, 
that you had to have to, to defend Travis Kelsey. Like he's probably the top guy. So yeah. maybe it does make it a little bit tougher there. Okay, uh, that is our Chiefs preview. We're going to take a timeout, get to our game picks for the week. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. <laughs> Plenty of games on this weekend. All sorts of games. What about the games? <laughs> There's as many of them. Okay. Lots are happening. You looked at me and I was like, okay, I'm supposed to be like, <laughs> yeah, games. Woo! All right, our uh, game picks. You are 45-61 and 4-55-70 and 6, if you include the locks. I uh, have worked back to 500 if I don't include the wall, the locks, 53, 53, and 4. Unfortunately, my locks have been anything but, so I'm 61, 66, and 4 <laughs> overall. We'll start in college football. You are 24 and 36. I uh, Man, I'm bad. am at 26 and 34. And first up, we have Illinois at number three, Michigan. The Wolverines are giving up 18 points. Okay, I'm a little nervous about this. Illinois has been kind of fading recently, but they're still a pretty good team. 18 points. I I feel like Illinois is going to keep it within 18, I think. But it could easily, I think this could easily be like a 34 17 game, which that Illinois would, that would cover. So I'm, this is kind of a risk, I feel like. But I'm going to go with Illinois because I think Michigan could easily just blow them out. But I'm going to go Illinois. I'm a little worried because I'm going to take Michigan here. I'm a little worried. The Illinois defense is really good and that they're going to keep this as a close, low-scoring game against Michigan. Um, the problem I have with, with Illinois, though, is their offense isn't great. And they're a little bit one-dimensional in certain ways. They have been fading recently. Yeah. And so I think that I could see Michigan holding them down with a really good defense of their own to like 10 points. And can Michigan get to like 31? I think that's doable. So I'll take Michigan in this one, but I'm definitely worried about the Illinois defense and the fact that it is a little bit of a look-ahead game with Ohio State next that week. That is true. Yeah, that's true too. Number four, TCU, a minus two and a half at Baylor. I don't know if you saw the what TCU is going to be wearing for this game. They released their uniforms. Is the Hypnotoads again? Yeah, it's like the all-white, all-white with like Hypnotoad helmets. And I think TCU is going to win. So I'm taking TCU. So, uh, fun fact. What's that? I the love last fun facts. Two Big 12 teams to start 10 and 0. Okay. They both lost. To Baylor, right? To Baylor. Yes. In week 11. Really? That's interesting. Baylor's got the, the magic. They got the mojo. Okay. Baylor wins. Okay. Covers as well. Texas minus nine at Kansas. Give me Kansas here. We we talked about it in the open, but I I think Kansas is is good enough to keep this as a, a closer game. It's been a close game against Texas in the past. Quinn Ewers is too inconsistent, I think, for Texas to really just blow the roof off of them, you know, and blow them out. And I think the Kansas offense, whether it's Jalen Daniels or Jason Bean, is going to be good enough to score enough points to keep it within nine points. So I'm taking Kansas. Did you know today, by the way, is the five-year anniversary of the Kansas-Oklahoma game where they refused to, to shake Baker Mayfield's hand? <laughs> oh, really? Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I'm going to take Kansas as well. Four of the last five being one-score games. I, I do think it'll be a close game. I, I don't necessarily know if I can get all the way there of Kansas winning with some of my worries about the defense tackling in the open field against a team who has great athletes at, at getting by in the open field. 
Um, but if Jalen Daniels comes back, home crowd, senior day, I think they can keep it close at the very least. And maybe they can't pull off the win. Kansas. Number seven, USC, minus two and a half. They're at number 16, UCLA. All right, give me USC here. UCLA, didn't they just, they just lost last week, right? Yeah, they did. To Arizona. Yes, yes. not a good loss. Yes, so I'm taking USC here. I, I mean, surely, surely Lincoln, Riley, and Caleb Williams can get it together and beat UCLA. I mean, it's it's UCLA, guys. Come on. I mean, they're ranked 16th. They're not just pushover. They haven't beaten anybody. They, they beat uh. They beat Utah, a, right? They beat Utah. That's it. They okay. beat anybody else. And they South lost Alabama, Arizona. one of the best teams in the Sun Belt. They barely beat them. Yeah, they they beat by them. one point. Win's a win. One point. Win is a win. I, uh, USC. I'm taking USC. I'm going UCLA in this one. Uh, apparently, this is actually going to be a sellout, which I'll believe it when I see it. Um, but <laughs> I, I think that. USC has, I mean, you want to talk about not beating anyone. Who has USC beaten? I don't even know. I can okay. tell you. They do have a ranked win. It's against Oregon State, and that was a game they probably should have lost, and Oregon State's barely ranked. I don't trust the USC defense. I really like the UCLA offensive line and running game. I think they're going to be able to run all over them. I think part of the reason why they lost Arizona, it was kind of a look-ahead spot for them for this very game. I'm going with the UCLA beating USC, and officially, putting the stake in the Pac-12's playoff chances. Number 10, Utah. At number 12, Oregon. Utes are giving up two. Okay, I don't know if you bothered. Have you looked and see if they updated the lines on this? Because there was some pretty big news of Bo Nix. I don't know if he's officially out. Apparently one of Oregon's receivers might have actually dropped the ball on Twitter about the news that Bo Nix might be out. (laughs) So let me check for... The line was minus two for Utah, but it may be going up because of what we think could be some breaking news. Yeah, and I want to say Oregon's backup quarterback is like a five-star recruit, like freshman, so it's not like they'll be devoid of talent there. Uh, No, it's still two points. Okay. So either the books are either still working to confirm. Or they already thought that. Or maybe maybe it doesn't matter to them. So regardless, I'm taking Utah here. Oregon, they're coming off of that loss to Washington, so you can look at it two ways. Like, one... Oregon's season is basically over in terms of trying to get to the playoff. I think they still have a chance to make the Pac-12 championship game, though. So they're still playing for that. But uh, Utah is a gritty team, and I, I like the way they play. I like Kyle Whittingham. I, I think Utah is going to win this game. I know it's a different coach and, and different teams and everything, but I just I still can't get out of my mind the way that Utah absolutely manhandled Oregon in both meetings last year, once in the regular season, once in the Pac-12 title game. I just think they out-physical them, and especially if Bo Nix is out, Give me Utah minus the two points. What is your lock of the week where you are six and five? My lock of the week is Western Kentucky plus four and a half against Auburn. I don't know if you've seen Derek. Western Kentucky, they've already worn these uniforms once. It's a black helmet, with, and they're I don't even know how to describe Western Kentucky's mascot. It's like a red blob looking thing. Uh you can look it up, Derek. It's like a, <clears throat> it's literally like a red. Yeah, it's it's called it's the, 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 the red hill toppers. I don't know what. Yeah, but their mascot's like a red blob. And anyways, they have put the red blob on the helmets now. Yes, and for that reason Called alone, big red, which is yes, very big fitting. red, and he's like, I like, I swear to you, he's literally like a blob looking yeah. thing with googly eyes on, and that's all he is. And they've got it on the helmets. That's why I'm going with Western Kentucky plus four and a half. And also, Western Kentucky is really good. Austin Reed is like third in the country in passing yards and passing touchdowns. Like, they're a really explosive team. Auburn, what are they playing for? Their season's done. No, they got to win their last two to make a bowl game. Give me the Hilltoppers. Yeah, they could have a look ahead to Alabama. That's just it's jarring for me to see Western Kentucky only getting four and a half points at Western Auburn. Western Kentucky's good. 
Uh, okay, I'm just four and seven. I'm going to go Houston. Houston's getting six points at East Carolina. I think these two teams are close. East Carolina's got a good rushing quarterback in Holton Aylers. Um, so, I don't know. I'm a little bit worried about the Houston defense in this one, but I think they keep pace offensively. You were mentioning to me the other day off air about how good of a season, actually, that their quarterback is having. Clayton Toon? Yeah, yes. with Clayton Toon. Yes, he's, uh, he's been phenomenal when, I'll you say, at, when you look at his stats. Yeah. High-scoring game. I think they have the more talented team, so I wouldn't be surprised if they pull the upset. I'll take them plus six. On to the NFL, where overall on the season, you are 21-25-4. I am 27-19-4. Man, you've been good in the NFL. I'm at 5-0 and last week. Uh, that helps. Yeah, it does. Jets at New England. The Patriots are giving up three and a half. Listen, week in and week out, I continue to ride with the boys from New York. I'm going to do it again. I think the Jets are going to find a way to win this game. I'm taking the Jets. Yeah, I, I don't... I'm going New England. I don't love it. This feels to me like a game where it's just Bill Belichick just asserts his dominance as like how they've always dominated the yeah, Jets. Yeah, it does. But I think the Jets have a chance. But they just beat them two weeks ago, and I hate, I hate doing did? that. No, the, the Patriots beat the Jets. Oh, okay, okay. What was it, two, three weeks ago? Um, but I will go the Patriots minus three and a half. I yeah I, I just don't trust Zach Wilson against Bill Belichick. Give me the Jets. Philadelphia minus seven at Indianapolis. This this feels like the line would have been like fourteen if Philly had beaten Washington. And I don't know if this is just like kind of an overcorrection or if they think that because this this feels like a trap to me. Does it not? Like the Colts stink. They stink. And I understand they just they just won last week with Jeff Saturday. But I mean really. No, this, they, I, I'm very scared because I'm going Philadelphia as well. But, like, at what point should we just start to realize maybe Indianapolis is just like a giant killer? You know, I, they I, just they just play well yeah. against the good teams. Yeah, I don't know. Because I'm going Philly too, but I, I don't feel good about it. No, I don't either. But here's the reason why. I just think that Indianapolis' offensive line has struggled this year. Philadelphia has a really good front. Matt Ryan, not good under pressure and gets <laughs> under pressure a oh, lot. Did you see his big running hat last week? I know. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll go Philly minus the seven. I think they bounce back. Dallas is minus one and a half at Minnesota. So I, I made sure to check the time of this game before I made my pick. It's at 325. Kirk Cousins is only good at noon. So for that reason alone, I think I have to lean Dallas here. So I'm going to take the Cowboys. I'm going Dallas as well. I think they bounce back. This, this is one of those NFL lines where it's, Dallas just lost to Green Bay. They blew a game, and Green yeah. Bay is not that good. And Minnesota yeah. just beat the Bills. Are they the best team in football? So Why is Dallas, Dallas favored? Being favored? Yeah. On the road. Give me Dallas. Okay. Kansas City, minus five at the Chargers. If you give me the Chiefs, I'm going to take them. I'm going to take the Chiefs here. I understand that this has been a close game, generally speaking, of pretty much all their matchups, but the Chargers are still banged up. I don't care if Keenan plays or not. Trent McDuffie's going to lock him down. Mike Williams, whatever. Trent McDuffie's going to lock him down. I think the Chiefs are going to win this game. I think it's it's probably going to be like a close-ish game, but I think the Chiefs will win by seven. Okay. I'll take the Chiefs. What's your final score? Because you've been close with those. I have been close. Uh, I'll go 27-20. Uh, 20, okay. So, I know you mentioned Trent McDuffie can lock down Mike Williams. What if Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are there? He can't guard both. Jalen Watson. Okay. I think it's going to be a close game. I really do. Um, so, I think five is too many. I thought the line would be around three. Give me the Chargers, especially with some of the Chiefs' uh, injuries at receiver. Okay. San Francisco is minus eight at Arizona. Yeah, I'm going to take the Niners here. The Arizona, man, they're just bad. I don't know how else to put it. They're just a, not a good team. And 
the Jimmy G Niners are elite. Give me the Niners. Hmm. Eight I feels like eight, a lot. It's though. just a lot. This, uh, this could easily be like this could easily be like a game where the Niners just absolutely dominate and then they win like seventeen to thirteen. Right. Right. Because <laughs> you don't trust Jimmy G to put up a lot of points. <laughs> and I don't know what the status of Kyler Murray is going to be. The fact that it's a Monday Night Football game, you'd think he'd be back. Um, maybe not though. But either way, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'll go San Francisco. I don't feel great about it, but give me the Niners. Uh, locks of the week. You are four, four, and two. Who do you like? My lock of the week is Cincinnati minus four against Pittsburgh. To me, I think the the Bengals need a statement win. I think. Uh, remember the the Cincinnati Pittsburgh game they played earlier in the season was just like insane, just absolute insanity, right? I think the Bengals need to have a big win to kind of put themselves back in a position of, okay, we could win the AFC North or we could make a run in the playoffs. I'm taking the Bengals here to, to win more, by more than four. They diced them up in the two meetings last year. That's what made the, the earlier one this year even crazier that, that it did happen that way. So I like that one for you. Uh, I'm just four and six. I've got the Giants minus three against Detroit. Love that pick. Are the Lions really going to go on a three-game winning streak? The Giants? I don't think so. And, yeah, the Giants are just a pretty solid team. I feel like the line could be uh, more than that. So, all right, that's our go. locks of the week and our game picks. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Live detector test next. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN. We'll have our KU basketball preview coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. KU pregame coverage, 5.30, tip-off at 7 o'clock for KU and Southern Utah tomorrow. Kickoff at 2.30, we'll have our local pregame show out of Big Mill, who's back open from noon to 1 o'clock before the game tomorrow on KLWN. Let's get to another lie detector test, though, here on RCST. I'm excited for this one. We got some uh, good candidates up there. First up, (laughs) FIFA and Qatar. Originally, the World Cup that is starting this weekend, they were going to, albeit, you know, in a restricted way, be able to have beer sales and fans were going to be able to drink, but only in certain designated areas that kind of clashed with the society and the country in Qatar. Well, just today, less than 48 hours away from kickoff, quote, following discussions between host country authorities and FIFA, a decision has been made to focus the sale of alcoholic beverages on the FIFA fan festival, other fan destinations, and licensed venues removing the sales points of beer from Qatar's FIFA World Cup 2022 stadium parameters. So here's the lie here. Did they ever actually intend to sell beer? I, I, yeah, I don't know. This feels like FIFA was maybe trying to negotiate and be like, hey, this is like a major source of revenue, a major source of like part of the experience. And what most of, of the world wants like, to be able to do exactly. while they watch. So they're sport. like, hey, fellas, like, can we have a good time here? And then they like jumped the gun and were like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna have some special, you know, whatever, right?" And then Qatar came in and was like, "No, you're not." And then people was like, "Oh." So I think the funniest part about this quote is the part where they say, "Following discussions between the host country authority." Like, what was the discussion, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, I think this is a lie. Yeah, I, I think it was a lie as well, at least from Qatar's perspective. Like, I don't yeah. think they were ever actually intending to let this happen. And yeah, and I think it's just going to be, I, I don't know, the World Cup is going to be interesting. Like, 
It's gonna be massive. I, I don't You're gonna know. see so many stories. Yeah, of people I arrested. Yeah, for... I wonder. I wonder how much of like the off the field stuff is gonna dominate yeah. compared to what's actually you really happening are. in the state. You're gonna get somebody arrested for drinking beer, or somebody arrested for having a one night stand, or somebody arrested for wearing like shorts or something that's like not socially acceptable. There things yeah. that and I just I just can't imagine that FIFA views this as a good thing. Like you they want... don't care. They just wanted the money. I mean, and, I understand and this that. Is but their, like, this is their problem now. But like, at what point do you do you care about? The publicity of the actual games being so minimal compared to like the they publicity of everything else. They should have cared, but I think this shows that they don't. It was all about a money play, and, and it was rigged, and how the sad. election was won for Qatar. It That's is sad. sad yeah. uh, Kevin Durant, quote, look at our starting lineup. Edmund Sumner, Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, Nick, Cla- Nick Claxton, and me. It's not disrespect, but what are you expecting from that group? You expect us to win because I'm out there. This is the truth. This is the truth. <laughs> He's telling the truth, man. He is, he is spitting straight facts here. They suck besides Kevin Durant and whenever Kyrie decides to play and if Ben Simmons ever decides to to get his head on straight. They're just bad. I mean, I don't even know who Nick Claxton is. Like, who is that? Is that even a real guy? Yeah. He's a former first-round center from Georgia. I don't think that's true. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I I mean, it's it's honest. <laughs> It's honest. Is it too honest? Yeah, see, that's like the thing. If you're it's on one a of those team, things you probably shouldn't say. Like, if you were on a team with a superstar guy, like, and he was, like, telling other people, like, hey, no offense, but these other guys suck. Yeah. Like, how would you feel? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of weird <laughs> because he's like, you expect us to win. So, on one hand, it's like, yeah. You know, he's like, yeah, he's saying, like, oh, yeah, you know. But it's kind of backhanded, though, because he's saying 100%. you expect us to win because I'm out there. 100%. So, he's saying, like, if I wasn't out there... These bums would definitely not win. Yeah, it's one of those lines where it's like it's true, but I can't imagine the teammates take it well. Okay, how about this one from Mark Davis? This might be my uh, favorite one of the week. As far as Josh goes in regards to Josh McDaniels, I have no issues. I'm getting to know him a lot better. When you sign someone to a contract, don't you expect him to fulfill the contract? I like Josh. I think he's doing a fantastic job. You have to look at where we came from and where we're going. Okay, there's two parts of this that I just truly love. One, where he says, I think he's doing a fantastic job. What? How? What do you mean? Two and seven is a fantastic job? What? But then he somehow tops that with his second part of, you have to look at where we came from and where we're going. You came from being a playoff team. (laughs) And now you're going to the bottom of the AFC West. What do you mean? What do you mean where you came from, where you're going? You were a playoff team. A playoff team that added Devontae Adams. You were a playoff uh, team. And Chandler Jones. And now you're going to be a bottom three team in the league. Oh, and by the way, you have the second worst schedule in the NFL for the first nine games. And you're two and seven. This is almost more fun if I, because clearly this is a lie. Uh, There was the report earlier this week that the Raiders or or Mark Davis is like cash strapped so they can't fire. Oh, yeah. They can't afford it. Yeah, off air, I took a deep dive on this. It turns out <laughs> Mark Davis is kind of poor, relatively speaking. Because you got to, I mean, when you trade for ownership of, of a team. Yeah, see, Derek your, has a lot more knowledge of this Yeah, to, to your, you know, your son or daughter or whatever. family. They have to pay a gigantic tax. It's like a 45% tax. To trade for ownership. Yes, on the valuation of the team. So, and you have to come up with that money in cash because it's taxed. So, when the Raiders get transferred over from Al Davis to Mark Davis, he has to pay. You know, if the the team is worth two billion dollars, he has to pay almost like a billion dollars in tax right away. So, 
like he doesn't really have the cash. Like it's, so, basically, know. the the theory here is that he literally cannot afford to buy out Josh. McCann yes, yes, and then sign another head coach. Uh, but let's count how many lies there are here. As far as Josh goes, I have no issues. I have that's, no issues. That's, that's got to be a lie. Yeah, that's got to be a lie. I'm getting to know him a lot better. Also, probably a lie. <laughs> like, what, what are you? Well, what are you just I mean, going? Factually, just it's going probably correct. Are you just going and having a beer with the guy? Well, or like, the longer that he spends there, the more he gets to know him. But yeah, is he like going out of his way exactly. to get to know him? You that's got to be a lie. So probably two. Uh, when you sign someone to a contract, don't you expect him to fulfill the contract? That's definitely, a definitely a lie. Definitely a lie. Like what university are you living in? Yeah, we're in the, the university just buying out everybody. Guys get yeah, and also yeah, coaches get fired all the time, and also like hello in the NFL. We talk about this all the time. A player gets signed to a seven-year deal, and everybody will quickly come to tell you, oh, but it's really only this because of the guaranteed money. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, not really fulfilling the Definitely contract lot, there. Yeah. Uh, I like Josh. I could be convinced that maybe that's the truth. Maybe as a person, but as maybe. a coach, does he like Josh? Eh, probably not. Okay, so that's four lies. <laughs> I think he's doing a fantastic job. As we've already outlined. Yep, Biggest lie. Yep. Uh, you have to look at where we came from and where we're going. As we I mentioned, can't even really tell if a that's a lie. lie or if that's just like delusion. Like, what does that even mean? Either way, I count it as a lie. That's okay. up to six lies in one like Good. little blurb Man, from so Mark Davis. Bad. I love it. Matt Bowen of ESPN, who writes for ESPN and whatnot, he released a early 2023 NFL free agency primer. He released his top 25. Number two on the list, only trailing Lamar Jackson, was Orlando Brown. <laughs> now, if he released this in July, it's the truth. 100% the truth. Sure. But uh, I think most people objectively watching the Chiefs and paying attention have realized that Orlando Brown is not playing to the level that he has played in the past or the level that we think he can play to. So, uh, I don't know. On one hand, like this could still be the truth. Like Maybe he still ends up becoming like an elite offensive tackle. But obviously, through nine games this season, he has not played that way. Yeah. But, but but I will say this, though. I think because he had a bad start, I don't think he's been that bad really recently. No, no. Uh, but I think because he had a bad start, that's kind of like left a bad taste in people's mouth. So they're just like, oh, Orlando Brown sucks. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think he sucks by any stretch of the word. But he definitely has not played to the level of what he was expected. And also, really, the only person he's hurting is himself. He's playing himself out of the opportunity to make a lot of money, basically. Yeah, no, you, you are right. He has played a lot better, and I don't think he's gotten credit for it. So, you know, credit for that right here. But still, at the end of the day, when you look at the overall um, I mean, who else is on numbers. the list? Who else is behind him? Um, that could be the other aspect of it. If, if the other people, if everybody, if it turns out only Lamar Jackson and Orlando Brown are the only two good players, then okay, maybe. Yeah, I'll I'll get that pulled up in a second here. But Orlando Brown, he's still he's tied forty fifth among tackles and penalties. So like that's that's kind of bad. You want to be in? I mean, hypothetically, the top thirty two makes you a top half tackle in the yep. NFL. But you'd prefer to be that's even some, better if you want to be paid one of the highest. Hey, that's some that's some good math. Tied thirty eighth. In a sacks allowed. So, again, you'd like to be higher. Uh, his PFF grade is 67. So, like... Not very good. Yeah, he's been... He's been just... Uh, he's just, like, been average, basically. It is the overwhelming. So, maybe that does okay. show that if he had such a bad start that what he's finished, by the way, number three is is Elchton Jenkins of the Packers. Okay. There's a lineman. Number four is Saquon Barkley. He's, why, is he, why is Saquon four? I don't know. Having a great year. Uh, number five, Marcus Davenport for the Saints. Number six, Roquan okay. Smith. Number seven, Tom Brady. Number eight, Jimmy G. Nine, Jalen Hargrave. Ten, Tony Pollard. I don't need to keep going. Okay. okay yeah. Um. 
bad list. Here, here's the thing, though. Is this a lie? Because is this like an agent asking Matt Bowen, like, uh, hey, I'll give you a scoop. Do me a favor. Okay. Is this value? Because his value is well, taken a little bit here. the table type stuff. Hey, but, rank this guy second. Yeah. I'll say this. This has got to be worrying for Chiefs fans because if if the Chiefs view this and go, yeah, we're going to have to, or if, like, the market value on him is still that he is that, then that they're going to have to retain they, him at $22, 25000000 million I dollars a year. I don't think that's true. If he is the number two free agent available and he is the I don't top think the Chiefs offensive would tackle, I don't think the Chiefs would I would hope him. not. I would hope not. That's kind of where I'm going with this. But the positive for the Chiefs here is, like, if he doesn't do very well, you would think? the Chiefs could sign him for a much cheaper value, potentially. If they wanted to bring him back. You would think. But that's, I guess, my problem with this. If if people around the league are still viewing it as he is he has that much of a value around him, then maybe the price doesn't go down. And that would be a big worry for me that the Chiefs would overspend on it. Okay, yeah, this I, next I, one. I think the Chiefs are I think Brett Beach is prudent enough that they won't overspend. But I'm not positive. Frank Clark. <laughs> okay, that's one example. Good job. Uh, okay, uh, well, I can give you more examples. Do you want them? Anthony Hitchens? I don't want more examples. Okay, we'll stop there. I want to I live in ignorant bliss. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mario Cristobal, who is the head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, this is on players' parents taking shots at Miami's coaches on social media. Quote, a parent is free and welcome to pick up their son if they're not happy with their playing time. Do you think they're actually free and welcome to pick up their son? Well, okay, here's what I, I don't understand about this quote. Is this peewee football? Like, what are these guys 10? Like, what are we even talking about here? What do you mean they're free to pick up? These are these are college students. They're not 12-year-olds. That's the part of this I don't understand. Like, what do you what do you mean, Mario Cristobal? What, what does that even mean? I don't understand. I, I don't I literally don't understand. This is not peewee football. Yeah, no, um No, I, I think he's being facetious, so I don't think it's like a lie. I think it's him uh but that would be kind of funny if he was being honest and was like, yeah, hey, he was we need some like, parents hey, to, to like, do the snacks. We need somebody to bring oranges. We need, um, you know, somebody to, to carpool like, all the like kids back home. Or like if a player calls his parents and is like, can you come pick me up? And then they do. And then Mark <laughs> He's like, what are you like, doing? Okay. See you. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Parents are allowed whenever. <laughs> okay. Last one. The Lombardi Trophy Panel for college football. These were the listed finalists for the Lombardi Trophy Award, which signifies... It's a very important part of this. The nation's top offensive or defensive linemen. Okay. Okay, does that make sense? You understand what the award offensive is. Offensive or defensive linemen. Yeah, that makes sense. Here are the candidates. Alabama linebacker, Will Anderson. Georgia tight end, Brock Bowers. And then there are two defensive tackles in there with Jalen Carter and Tuli Tui Pulotu, <laughs> USC. Why are Brock okay. Bowers and Will Anderson considered for this? Well, I think you can you could make a case for Will Anderson. Because he's literally he's a, listed as a linebacker. Yeah, but he's like a pass-rushing outside linebacker slash defensive end player. I wonder if he's a, he's a finalist for whatever the linebacker award is. Isn't it just... Oh, I don't know. Yeah, the Brock Bowers one, I have a hard time really uh, validating. Yeah, the Brock, you can't at all because the reason that he's... Well, why isn't he just a finalist for the best tight end award? That's the, what I'm saying, the, the Mackey? Mackey. Yeah, why isn't he just a finalist for the Mackey? I wish I, I could tell is, you. And then he also just made him a finalist for this. But again, that doesn't make sense. He's not an offensive lineman. Like, I get it. He could be a great blocking tight end. He's not blocking Eric, as me, well as an offensive lineman. Let me ask you this. When has a body that is in charge of giving out awards or assigning things like this 
when have they ever acted in a logical manner? I get what you're saying, but this is like so illogical. It makes zero sense. I mean, I, I guess I can get on board with, with what you're saying on um, Will Anderson. But like, again, that makes no sense. That's like if... No, I, I, I. What if we give like T.J. Watt offensive player of the year because he has three pick sixes one year, so, or three like fumble sixes or whatever? That makes zero sense. <laughs> zero sense. So liars. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I guess liars. I have to be liars. That's our lie detector test with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, half an hour to go. This is RCST on KLWN. Depending on it. Five o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Nick Springer, I am Derek Johnson. Coming up at 5.30, we're going to scoot out of the way for pregame coverage from the Crimson and Blue Show with David Lawrence, Sean Kellerman. That'll lead up to tip-off with Brian Haney, Greg Gurley on the call at 7 o'clock. You can hear it all right here on your original home for the Jayhawks on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Uh, we want to preview the, the KU Southern Utah game ourselves as well. I mean, obviously, there won't be as much to get into as like the Duke game, for instance, but uh, let's hear from the head coach first. Here is what Norm Roberts had to say uh, kind of after the Duke game and before the Southern Utah game earlier this week. Norm, you guys only had nine scholarship players for Duke. Do you envision the same thing tomorrow against Southern Utah? Um, I haven't really talked to Cheddar, uh, Bill Calgill yet, but it could be the same, but hopefully we have more. So, But I haven't talked to him yet, so I don't know yet. Is there, I guess, is there a reason Zach didn't travel, even with the injury? Was the injury prohibitive to him traveling in any way? No, I think we just thought it was better for him to stay back at home and rest. Okay. The, the sequence of, of back-to-back blocks that Juan and Ernest had the other night and, and just the chaos that followed, um, guys diving on the floor, all that stuff, what does that say about your team, especially at this point, this early in the season? Well, that's KU basketball, second, third effort. I thought our guys did a good job of that. It would have been even better if we caught the lob. We didn't catch the lob pass, but, but uh, I thought our guys played extremely hard. Even when we made mistakes, we did it 100 miles an hour trying hard. Are they, are they farther along or further along in that area than maybe some teams in the past? And, and I'm not necessarily talking about you know talent, but just the effort. And, and playing that hard that early, this early in the season? No, I, would, I wouldn't say that because, uh, excuse my voice, guys, but I wouldn't say that because uh, we watched tape a couple of uh, years ago when we played Duke mm-hmm. uh, with Devon Dodson, those guys, and woo. We had 29 turnovers, but we played hard, really hard. And, and when you're in that atmosphere, you're going to play hard. You never have to worry about your guys playing hard in an atmosphere like that. What, what do you know about tomorrow night's opponent? Well, they're a versatile team. They're, they're a, a veteran team. Uh, they're a team that shoots a lot of threes. I think they average 32 threes a game. Uh, so we know they're going to shoot it. they got guys that can play multiple positions. They also are playing, they got 12 guys playing double figure minutes. So they're playing a lot of guys. So they look to try to weigh you down. Uh, they can play big. they got a 6'11 center. Or they can play small with a six-six center, so they're going to throw a lot of different things at us. Do you, speaking of that, six-six, six-seven type center. Do you think is KJ locked into that five spot right now? Uh, my last head coaching <laughs> gig is tomorrow night. That is uh, that'll be a question for Coach Self, okay. but um, I think KJ's done a really, really good job for us. We've gotten off to pretty good starts, 
and those things. So who knows what happens later in the year. But I, I, I can tell you this, K.J. Adams is going to play a lot of minutes. That's, that's what's going to happen. So. With MJ, do you expect him to be able to practice today with his illness? Uh, I do. I do think he'll practice today. So we're excited about getting him back out there. And what do you feel like he brings when he is available to you guys? Your energy, ability to score, um, uh, can be a physical presence defensively, guarding one through four. He can do a lot of different things for us. And from your own perspective, for you, what's been the most encouraging part from the first three games, just collectively with this team? Uh, I would say uh, chemistry, togetherness. You know, in the game against Duke, uh, Juan and Jay Will were incredible on the bench. They were great. Like, thinking next play, didn't matter what happened, stay together, we're talking to them about it. it's a long game. Um, hey, let's not, let's not uh, panic here. We don't need to take quick shots. We need to play the right way. And those guys were totally locked in and made sure everybody else was locked in. They did a great job of that. Coach, uh, you bring so much uh, head coaching experience at the top level and, and so much experience with this roster. That said, is there any possibility or any chance that the last few games, this, this interlude here is going to, will this inform or affect the way that you view the rest of the season uh, as you approach, as you resume your your normal duties? Will this alter your, I mean, have you learned things about the players that you didn't maybe know now that, you know, since you're the voice that they hear on game day, that kind of thing? I, I don't know if it influenced anything I do uh, from this point forward. I think when, and Joe Dooley's doing this right now too, when you've been a head coach, for whatever reason, we forever think like a head coach. So even no matter how long I've been back, I think like a head coach in my thoughts, in my advice to coach, you know, in my approach to practice. It's always been that way. So I think it just it just stays with you. Okay, that was Norm Roberts. Uh, speaking ahead of the game against Southern Utah, so let's talk a little Southern Utah. I believe are they the Thunderbirds? Is that they right? are the Thunderbirds? That's a great the Southern Utah name. Thunderbirds. That is a great man. It's you know because a bird in general is not like a a crazy mascot, but when you add the word thunder oh, to yeah. it, it's instantly ten thousand times cooler. Yes, yes, <laughs> way cooler. <laughs> their mas- their mascot should be like a, a a Thunderbird, like the car. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they should, should they should like roll up in that. They should have NIL deals for all the players. <laughs> all, every athlete who goes there, you get a, a free Thunderbird. Uh, but yes, uh, Southern Utah, they're 3-1 uh, and one on the season. This is the second highest rated opponent that KU will have faced this season. They're about 60 spots higher than where North Dakota State is right now. Um, obviously way lower, though, than Duke. So yep. uh, the line that came out being in the low 20s, around 21 points right now, it's a game that if KU plays well, they're going to win by 20-plus points. So like... We don't need to go super in-depth about, oh, well, how are they going to defend this or, or, or whatever. But I will say, um, Southern Utah, it's kind of funny. You look at their schedule. They played New Mexico in their first game. The last three games. I don't have, even think the other schools they played are no, real schools. they're not D1. I don't they're think not they're D1. Okay. <laughs> I was looking at the schedule. I was like, these are not real schools. Yeah. No, they're 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 not <laughs> D1. So, like, I, I don't know what to think of. They're averaging they had like, like a, they had like a 120 to 55 win yes. in there. Like, <laughs> yes, they're averaging over 100 points per game. But three of their four games are against non-D1 teams. So. Well, and also they have, uh, I was looking at their sets. They have 12 guys averaging double-digit minutes per game. Mm-hmm. But, like, also, they, they like you said, they've been playing Again, nobodies. Yeah. So, Again, like, is yeah. that going to be the, is their rotation truly going to go 12 guys deep? Probably not. Probably not. Um. 
but I do think it's interesting that you have a team that, you know, they have they have one good big man down low. They've got a good center inside who's like six foot eleven. Uh, he's efficient, shoots almost 60% from the floor. He can stretch it a little bit from three. Outside of when they play him, which he might – like right now he's playing like 20 minutes a game. They're playing small the rest of the minutes, and they're putting a six six center down low. So either K.J. Adams is going to be you know perfect because K.J. Adams is probably better at playing a small ball five than, than their guy is, or um, you're just going to have the size advantage with Uday or, or Zubiedge for – I guess we'll wait and see with, with what's going on with Zach Clements. And um, – it's a game where when you look at Southern Utah averaging over 100 points per game, you look at them being a pace and space team that plays small and takes a lot of threes. They're averaging over 33-point attempts per game. I think this is going to be a very up-and-down, open-transition game where KU can get out and run. Basically, what I'm saying is this. Expect a lot of points, and I'm <laughs> pounding the over. Yeah, the one interesting thing about this team is they have a transfer from Illinois, Tevian Jones, who averages about 18 points a game. He's by far their best player. But but you're right, it's going to be a game of probably a lot of transition, a lot of three-point shots, which on one hand you'd think would favor KU because I think we agree that's, that is KU's strength, right? But on the other hand, like if Southern Utah comes in hot and makes a bunch of threes, like KU needs to be yeah. on alert, right? I mean, they can't just walk, they can't just sleepwalk in here and, and think they're going to get a win. Yeah, for sure, and, and I do think there is a case to be made that this could be kind of the the letdown sandwich game, so to speak. You have the letdown after a big, high pressure packed win over Duke, and your next game is going to the Bahamas. So, like, you're <laughs> right in that perfect middle of, uh, you know, on the down of one and about yeah. to be on the up of the other. So there very well could be a you know down first half. Like maybe this is a game like the Pitt State game where they fall yeah. behind twelve to six in the early going, right? And then and then they have to work back. So you're right. Um yeah, you don't dude, have to worry about You'll definitely be thinking about the Bahamas on a day like today, man. Oh my gosh. So cold. Yes. Now as as far as like other things to watch, just kind of small things or whatnot, uh let's see if the five men bounce back. I mentioned this on whatever Tuesday show or Wednesday show. Uh Zuby Edge for Ernest Duday combined had two points on one of three shooting and six rebounds in like 23 minutes of time against Duke. You're going to need more, and this is a matchup where you should have more because you're going to be playing against either a six foot six center or you're going to be playing against a guy who, yeah, he does have size and has been efficient, has been good, but you should still be better than their five. Yeah. I want to see what Grady Dick does on defense. Right? Are you falling asleep off the ball? Are you able to stay in front of guys? Do you have internal improvement from that end? Uh, what does KJ Adams look like in terms of, you know, going up against their small ball five and continuing to kind of uh, hone in on on the starting five position? And then, do we see any of the players who were missing last game back? Do we see MJ Rice back? Um, because I think specifically he's the one that people really want to see the most. And yeah. based on that audio from Norm Roberts, kind of sounds like he'll be back. I mean, I suspect that Zach Clements and even Cam Martin, whenever he's able to come back in a, in a couple of weeks, like I suspect those guys are going to have a role potentially because of the fact that they're both better outside perimeter shooters. Uh, but certainly MJ Rice is the one that I think is more pressing in terms of what he could bring and what he can do coming off the bench as kind of an offensive guy like we've talked about. Well, we uh, got to hear from Ernest Uday in the week leading up at KU Media Availability. He was uh, uh, gracious enough to, to spend some time with the media and uh, really good uh, in front of the media, Ernest Uday. You can tell a lot of times the kids who are like McDonald's All-Americans, like they've been getting interviewed since they've been, I don't know, sophomores, juniors in high school, and uh, he was a really good interview. Here is Ernest Uday speaking with the media earlier this week. 
the experience on Tuesday. What was it like for you playing in a game like that? Um, you know, it was great. Um, probably, you know, you guys could probably say one of the biggest games so far, you know, for my college career, of course. Um, you know, just the stage was big, you know. Um, I also know the history of the Champions Classic, you know, so just to be a part of that game was really special. And for you personally, just mm -hmm. how did you evaluate the way that you played? Um, you know, I was able to, um, you know, um, alter a lot of shots, you know, coming in the paint. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't score last night, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about that at all. Um, I was really happy we got the win. And, you know, um, those last few minutes were really, uh, really fun to watch and be a part of. So it was great. And when you guys watched tape with Coach Self, mm -hmm. what were some of the things that he pinpointed just for you specifically? Yeah. Uh, you know, mostly like I said on defensive end, you know, just little things here and there that, you know, we go back and forth on and talk about. Um, so, you know, that was mainly the main thing, just defensive stuff. Can you take us back through that crazy sequence where you yeah. and Dewan got the, got the back-to-back blocks? Yeah, people are diving on the floor and mm -hmm. total chaos. I mean, what was that like from your perspective? Yeah, um, you know, um, I was I think beyond half court when uh, you know the ball got swung up. Um, I saw Juan go up for the block and I knew he was going. I knew he was going to get it, and I saw Lively trailing. So you know, I just told myself like I know Lively's in perfect position to get this rebound if he gets the block. So he got the block, um, Lively got the rebound. He went up and then, you know, I came up with the block. You know, it was a little scramble, dive for the ball. Um, we were talking about in the locker room after um, the lob that Juan threw to me after that play would have been, uh, it would have been a great sequence, you know. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really intense. Do, do you think, I mean, you said you knew Juan was going to get it, but mm -hmm. do you think people are surprised by him? as a shot blocker? I mean, he's got a few this year, he had a few last year. I, I don't know that anybody expects that. I can see why people would be surprised, you know, mainly because his position as a point guard, you know, his size. But um, just him overall defensively, I don't, no one should be surprised at all. Um, I'd probably say he's one of the best defensive guys we got on the team. You know, he's scrappy. Um, he gets his hands on a lot of balls. You know, he makes our job um, as defenders on the team as a whole easier when he's out there. And so people shouldn't be surprised at all about his defensive abilities. When, when you saw him get his, did you feel like you had to you had to go answer? You had to go get yours or else uh, he could, you know. Especially since Live was going to get that rebound, I had to I made, had to make sure I got that block. So, yeah. What, what does that sequence say about this team defensively? You guys obviously have, have really been turned up yeah. early in games mm -hmm. defensively. Um, but, but did you expect that? Did you know this team would be that way this early in the season? Um. You know, it's really hard to say, you know, um, but regardless of that, like I said before, um, we really put emphasis on defense, you know, in practice. Like I said, defense brings easy offense for us. And, um, you know, with the group of guys that we have, um, we can really move, you know, we can really get after it. And um, I just feel like if we just continue to put um, emphasis on defense, you know, perfect our defense, so to speak, um, it'll really just open up a lot of things for us further down the line. What can a win like that this early in the season do for you guys as a team, mm -hmm. for you as a, as a yeah. freshman? Uh, how, how big can something like that be down the road? Um, you know, like with seeding, you know, I'd probably say one of those things, you know, from a three to four seed, four to five, six to seven, whatever the case may be. But um, one thing I would say is for us not to get complacent, you know, um, for us not to feel like, all right, we, we just beat Duke, so now let's, you know, relax or anything. Because easily, like I said, easily the way we won it, we could have also lost it. And regardless, we still have to look at it um, as a teaching, 
teaching a lesson, you know, see what we could learn from the game, you know, certain shots that we shouldn't have taken, uh, certain defensive assignments that we may have missed, you know, to make sure we just correct them um, going further into the season. And um, just, like I said, never look at, us, um, at a win as like, a, okay, it was just a win, but more of a, how can we get better um, from this specific games and see what we did wrong. Ernest, you guys only had nine scholarship players mm-hmm. available for Duke. I'm just wondering how much you feel like that affected what you've been able to do in practice. Um, you know, you know, I know we're down. Um, we were down guys a little bit. Um, in practice, you know, we're we're still gonna do the same things that you know we work on. You know, um, our scout team, you know, really uh, really helps us in practice. You know, when we're preparing for any game of any sorts. Um, like last night, you know, like I said, like you said, we had nine guys. Um, and we were still able to uh, you know go out and get the win. I feel like that's just a testament to uh, how hard we work in practice. You know, um, even if we came into that game with five guys, we still wouldn't lay down. You know, we would finish that game till the end, no matter what the case may be. And uh, I just feel like we're really re- uh, resilient. You know, no matter if we have five guys, ten guys, twelve guys, you know, we're gonna play the way we play all the time. What you uh, what you like about Jalen in that game as your team's leader, but also as an offensive player and and just kind of showing you guys how to play in a yeah. game like that, maybe? Yeah. Jalen, uh, he's been big for us. You know, I know, like you said, it's early, but uh, he's also a vet. You know, he's been in this far much longer than I have. You know, I'm, I'm still new to this whole college thing. Um, but, nah, Jalen, he steps up He steps up when we need him the most, um, and that's what he's supposed to do. You know, um, no one was surprised that, you know, he, he had a double-double the other night. And, like I said, no one's surprised. That's what he's supposed to do. You know, um, as a freshman, and he's my leader, you know, I look at it as – He's going out there every night, you know, doing what he's supposed to do. Again, like I said, and um, it, it's really not a surprise, you know. It's just, like I said, it's, it's his job, you know, and uh, it really helped us. Do you know much about tomorrow night and your next opponent? Um, you know, we're we're gonna go over that in a scouting report today. Uh, I haven't gotten the scouting report yet, but you know, I heard they're a good team. Like I said, we can't ever look um look over anybody, um, especially at this level of basketball. And, um, you know, just take one game at a time and just make sure we do what we're supposed to do. This will be the first time for you that you played somewhere else and now you get to come back come home. Back home. Um, what do you anticipate that being like? I know the fans obviously were really yeah. thrilled about the Duke win, so you, now you get to come home and feel that love. Does that? Are you excited about experiencing that for the first time in your career? For sure, a thousand percent. Um, you know, even since the uh, exhibition before the first official game, you know, I felt the love from Allen already. Um, the environment's crazy. So, um, like like you said, I'm coming off that Duke win and coming back to Allen. I I wouldn't expect anything less from them. So, that was Ernest Uday. He'll be looking for a big game. I would imagine KJ Adams will still be the starter, but uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll be interested to see who the first big off the bench is because yeah, it's been Ernest Uday for every game so far this season. But Zuby kind of looked played well. better. Yeah, he did. A little bit. And Zuby closed the game, which, I yeah. mean, the biggest trust you can have is who <laughs> is closing the game. He closed the game against Duke. So is does Zuby usurp Ernest in terms of being the first big off the bench? Or does K because I, I think it's most likely Ernest is still the first big off the bench. We saw this last year. Like, there were times where, like, Zach Clemens had the, the game against Oklahoma that helps him win the game. Or uh, Mitch Lightfoot has a big performance and David McCormick struggles. Or, or whoever it was at the five, KJ Adams starts against Tech. And it's like, wow, is this going to be a 
a, a trend that's going to continue to the next game. And more often than not, it's just like, no, they had a good game, but we're going to stick with the overhaul, the overworking kind of body of work there. Okay, we do have to do a, a Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk before we go. I'm leading two Dude, wins to none. I suck, man. But but that's the beauty. We're, we're not looking at overall points. It's just two to nothing. You get a okay, win yeah, tonight, you're one yep. win away, right? Yeah, yeah. So reminder go. on the scoring, point for every point they score, two points for assists and rebounds, three for steals and blocks, minus one for every shot missed. missed. Yes. yes. I think I had that typed up wrong. Um, and then minus two for turnovers. Okay. I will uh, give you the first pick. And we will just go back and forth since we did that last time. Okay, I've got to go with Jalen Wilson. He's been the best scorer out of the Rocha Pickahawk that we've done the past two games. Go with, go with Jalen. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to go with Dewan Harris. I think he just fills up the stat sheet tonight. Maybe he scores a little bit more against lesser competition. Um, I think that Grady Dick would be the other choice here, but I don't know. Grady Dick might score 15 points and have only like two, three rebounds. Dewan Harris is going to fill up the stat sheet. On that note, I'm going to pick Grady Dick. I think he if if Southern Utah is going to shoot a lot of threes, Kansas might need to also shoot more threes, aka Grady Dick shooting more threes. Hopefully, I'll go Kevin McCuller. Um, good at getting steals. Maybe had a, a start to breakout game for his offense. Hit two threes last game. Give me Kevin McCuller. Okay, I'm going to go with kind of a wild pick here. I'm going with Ernest Uday mm. because I think he has a chance to get a lot of blocks in a game like this. Like in transition, I think if he gets a lot of blo- those are worth three points. I'm taking Uday. I like that one. Uh, I'll go KJ Adams. You know he's going to play a lot. You know he's going to start. Wait, the- how many are we? Are we doing just five or ten pick? 10 yeah, we'll players? do five again. We'll okay. do five again. So we, have, um, we should have three right now. Yeah, uh, I'll go KJ Adams starting at the five. It's a better opportunity for him to score if he's matched up on a six-six guy. So uh, KJ. Ooh. Um. I'll go with uh, Bobby Pettiford here. I think if KU's up big, Bobby will probably get some more time to play, some more assists. I'll take Bobby. Okay, that's good. I'll go Zuby Edgefer in the case that he is the first big off the bench. Regardless, he'll probably still play five to ten minutes in a game that he should be able to get a lot of blocks and rebounds to. So do we actually have an update on NJ Rice or is he are we sure he's gonna play? Your guess is as good as mine. Okay, well my guess is I'm taking MJ Rice. <laughs> okay. And then if he doesn't play, oh well, if he does, good. All right, so uh, I can uh, we we go through this every time. Do I go Joe Yasufu? Do I go with Michael Jankovic? <laughs> I am going to go for the ceiling play. Uh, I'm going to go with Joe Yasufu. Okay. I rolled the dice on it uh, for the last game, and he got one point. So good luck. We'll ride the roller coaster. All <laughs> right, that is uh, Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk. That is Rock Chalk Sports Talk as well. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you to having Mia Kawa for joining the show. For Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Have a good rest of your day. Have a good rest of your weekend. We got KU basketball coming at you pregame at 5.30, tip-off at 7. Tomorrow, don't forget to come on out. We're going to be over at Big Mill. Uh, we're going to be there from noon to 2 with the KISS crew. We'll have our live pregame show noon to 1 on KLWN. Big Mill is back open. We're going to be giving away T-shirts, koozies. We got KU basketball tickets to the next home game that we're going to be giving away, gift cards, all sorts of stuff. So come on out, spin the prize wheel before you head into the KU football game that you can also hear right here on KLWN at 2.30. Thanks for joining us today on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Keep it locked in right here for KU Hoops.